Well, good morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 of Acts. And uh, while you are getting there, I just want to reiterate again, if you uh, happen to miss the announcements earlier, uh, we are glad that you're here. We have an 11 a.m. and a 7 p.m. college service uh, every week here over at Anderson. Uh, but we also would really encourage you to get plugged in to one of our small groups. Uh, they meet throughout the week. There are yellow sign-up forms on your chairs. You can fill one of those out and put it in the box at the back. Someone will give you a call. Um, we really believe that uh, transformation is going to occur when you are in a small group of men and women who can challenge you to walk with Jesus and when you are gathered around the Word of God to do that. So we encourage you to jump in with one of those. All right, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it and to know it. We praise you that your spirit is here with us this morning to help us understand. Father, we pray that you would open up our minds, that we would understand. Father, we pray you would move in our hearts to remove our resistance to you, remove our doubt and the fear that often keeps us from obeying you like we want to. And then we pray through the power of your spirit, empower our hands and feet as we go from here to serve you. I do pray we would give all that we are, all that we have to the service of Jesus Christ, your son, so that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My senior year in college, one Friday evening, one of my roommates walked in and asked me if I wanted to go see a movie with him. So I said, sure, great roommate time, a good time to catch up. And so we began scanning the movies that were available. And uh, it was one of those times of year, October, November, when there aren't a whole lot of the best movies out. They haven't yet released all of their new movies for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we were kind of looking at uh, the set B, you know, sort of the B movies that were out. But there was one movie that was of semi-okay quality, and the deal is that the movie was called Anastasia. Now, uh, Anastasia, if you guys are familiar with it, uh, it's a Disney princess movie. Now, uh, we looked at it, and I don't know if it fully registered with me what we were going to see until we got to the theater, and all of a sudden I realized I'm, I'm here, there was an old theater in downtown Bryan, I'm here in downtown Bryan, 
with my roommate watching Anastasia, right? And so I walked up to the counter and kind of, as soon as I realized what was going on, started to feel a little sheepish and said, yeah, I'll take one for Anastasia. You know, and the guy goes, Anastasia's over there, you know, theater number two. And I'm like, thank you, you know, and kind of walk on and uh, get into the theater. And we're sitting down and I'm starting to watch this film. And uh, as, as happens, uh, I kind of got into the movie. I'm not going to lie. I started watching it and it's, it's this story about uh, this Russian princess from 1916. And she and her family get deposed from the throne and they have to flee. And the evil sorcerer Rasputin is after them, right? And so, uh, and there's a, there's a potential love interest between uh, Dimitri, uh, this guy played by John Cusack, and uh, Anastasia. And so this movie is beginning to develop all of these threads of interest. And I'm starting to watch and I'm thinking... I I don't want to show too much interest, but I kind of like this movie, right? And uh, so we're watching it, and and here's what happened. Uh, About 15 minutes before the show was over, everything goes blank. Uh, Screen goes blank, sound goes out. Now, this was before every film was digitally controlled uh, in some control room. There was a physical film uh, back there, and this guy walks over, and you can hear him messing around with the film, and we're all going, what's going to happen? And on the outside, I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, what, whatever. And uh, on the inside, I'm like, no, right? Because I've been getting into this film, and I'm upset. And uh, they come out, and they go, we're sorry, we can't get it fixed. Uh, we're just going to have to give everybody their money back. Right? And so I'm just, on the inside, I'm dying, right? Because I got to know what's happening. This movie's not going to come out on DVD for months, probably, you know? And so uh, we're walking out and they just give us all our money back and I go home. But in my mind, I'm still thinking, what happened, right? What happened to Anastasia? Did she and Dimitri uh, finally find love? Did Rasputin get taken care of? And here's the deal. Uh, To this day, I've not seen the end of that movie, right? So uh, if one of you comes up to me afterward and tells me how it ends... I'm going to be upset. Uh, I texted my roommate that I went to the movie with, told him I was going to tell him this story. And he texted me back and thought it would be funny to say that Anastasia died. And I texted him back. I said, what's wrong with you, right? First of all, you never do that. Secondly, that can't be true, right? That, is, that can't be true. Okay. Now, I've never seen it. And the reason is because I couldn't bring myself, you know, to go to like Blockbuster and be like, Friday night, I'm going to rent Anastasia, you know, and come home and get it. Uh, but now... I have two daughters, and so I anticipate that one day they're going to want to watch it, right? And I'll, I'll go, I, I don't know. Okay I'll, okay, I'll watch it with you, right? And then we'll, we'll go watch it together, and I'll see what's going to happen at the end of the show. And maybe you've had that experience in your life uh, where you have read a story, maybe, and you had to return a book to the library before the story was done. Or you've been watching a movie, and you didn't get to see the end of it, and you're going, what is the end of the story? I need to know it. Now, the reason I share that is because as we start the book of Acts, It's helpful to place it in context and recognize that the book of Acts is the continuation of a story that was begun in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In particular, it's the continuation of the book of Luke, uh, both written by Luke, both addressed to the same person, Theophilus. If you just read the book of Luke, the odds are that you would walk away from Luke going, what happens next? And the reason is because Luke is all about Jesus It's all about his miracles, his teaching, how he raises people from the dead, how he heals the sick, how he teaches who God is and how you can know him. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He rises again. He gives his disciples some instructions and then he goes up into heaven. And if you're reading that book, you're going to suddenly go, okay, but what happens next? Because the Savior left. Right? He, He just, he left. He went up into the sky and here's these 12 guys going, now what? 
Because everything he's taught us, everything he's done, he just handed the baton to us. And if you read through the book of Luke, if you read through the books of Matthew and Mark and John, you know that these guys were woefully inadequate for the task. And yet Jesus goes, here you go. Go save the world. See ya. And he flies up into the sky and goes away. And so Acts picks up where Luke left off. It says, all right, what happens now with a group of men, and as the book goes on, a group of women who are living after Jesus has gone into heaven, how do they carry his work forward in the absence of Jesus? He's not physically there. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's a great book because there are wonderful conversions, there are miracles, there are people rising from the dead. There's all kinds of great stuff happening, but there's also persecution and conflict and difficulty. And what it is, it's the story of these men and women as they say, how do we look like Jesus? How do we reflect Jesus? How do we obey Jesus now that he's not standing here with us, right? And in a lot of ways, it's my story and your story too. Because we are called to carry the message of Jesus, the mission of Jesus in this day and age. Right here, Texas A&M or Blinn, 2,000 some years after Jesus left for the sky. And we experience doubts and fears and insecurities. We struggle with sin. We struggle with conflict, just like the early apostles. And so as we look at the book of Acts, what we're going to see is a living example of how we walk this out, how we can be faithful representatives of Jesus Christ, even though he's not physically standing here with us. So Luke begins in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, if you read that quickly, you might miss a critical piece of verse one. He says, Theophilus, in the previous book, I told you what, all that Jesus started to do and teach until the day he was taken up. The implication being, what is this book? This is what Jesus is now doing. Jesus is now teaching after he's left. All right, and the the tie for us between the Jesus who was here physically and the Jesus who is here now is gonna be the Holy Spirit. As you walk through the book, that is gonna be the critical element of how the apostles succeed in turning the world upside down in just a few years. How a few guys who were fearful, who denied their savior, who were sinful, who argued with each other. How did they spread the gospel throughout the earth? It's by the power of Jesus Christ manifested through his spirit. And as you and I are here this morning, the question I want you to reflect upon then as we go into the book of Acts is this, how am I called in the power of the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus Christ as a student right here, 2012 in College Station? Because that is the mission of your life and it's the mission of my life. And so Jesus work continues today through you and me. We're going to look at a few elements of that as we walk through verses 1, 1 through 11. Work of Jesus continues today through God's people, through God's people. Continuing in verse 3, it says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, this is a huge leadership transition. All right, Jesus says, uh, I'm about to leave. You guys need to go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. Now watch what the disciples do. They say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Jesus, uh, this is the right time for you to go ahead and set up the kingdom deal. It's now. See, all throughout the history of Israel, they had been expecting their Messiah to come and reign in Jerusalem and set up his kingdom and defeat all the enemies. Now, these guys are living in a day and age where Israel is still oppressed and controlled by Rome. And so they say, look, Jesus, yeah, they put you to death. Uh, you rose from the dead. That's very impressive. I would think that any, anybody would grant you the authority to reign. So that's now. It's going to happen now, right? And notice Jesus doesn't deny that it's ever going to happen. Instead, he says, eh, the time isn't for you to know. Guys, you be my witnesses. Go to Jerusalem, wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you be my witnesses. This is a huge leadership transition. And leadership transitions are always tough, but especially when it's the Son of God handing on his ministry to human beings. I was thinking throughout the 20th century, what are some great leadership transitions? You might think, I don't know, uh, presidential transitions that were big or transitions in the army. For some reason, as I started thinking about leadership transitions, what kept coming into my mind was uh, when Colonel Sanders left KFC. And I don't know why, uh, but I kept thinking about it. And, and, you know, Colonel Sanders with the goatee and all that, and you see his face on every box of chicken. But I think, you know, he started this company in the 1930s. What happened when he left? Does anybody know? No, probably not, right? You may think he's still alive. He's not, actually, okay? He's still not running the country, the company, the country. That'd be something, right? You may not know this also. Uh, he was not a real colonel. Did anybody know? That kind of disappointed me, actually, when I read this. Uh, he was an honorary colonel of chicken, right? And so uh, he was not actually a real colonel, but he developed this secret recipe and he sold it for like 35 years. And then in 1970, around that time, he sold the company off to somebody. We don't know who, right? And I just think about that guy stepping in. And as it turns out, uh, Colonel Sanders didn't like what they did with the company. He called the gravy wallpaper paste mixed with sludge, right? He didn't like what they had done with his recipe. I think, man, if you're that guy who steps in after Colonel Sanders, I mean, that is a losing proposition, isn't it? You're not going to be the colonel of chicken. You never can, right? Maybe a, maybe a major, maybe major chicken or something like that, or lieutenant, you know, lieutenant chicken, but you're not going to be the colonel, and so you may as well stop trying, right? That, in a sense, is how the disciples probably feel when Jesus leaves, except to the nth degree. Here's the Son of God He's been in their midst. He's about to leave. And he says, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to do it now. And they go, no, wait, you, would you please stay? Set up your kingdom. And he goes, nope, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all to the ends of the earth. And then he goes up into heaven and he leaves them there. That's the amazing thing is that Jesus has entrusted the task of his kingdom to people like you and me. Sinful people, frail people, imperfect people. And he says, I want you to do this task to the ends of the earth. Share who I am. Share what I've done. That I died for the sin of the world. I rose again, defeating death and sin. And I'm going to use you. Now you go, how is that even possible? 
Like we said, it's because it's through the Holy Spirit. It's through God's Spirit that the work goes forth. Holy Spirit is mentioned three times in this passage. The end of chapter 2, Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, just as John used water to identify you with me, now the Holy Spirit is going to be the identifying mark of those who know me. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not very long from now. And we're going to see that happen when we get to Acts chapter 2. Right? And then verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. All right, Jesus says, this is how it's going to happen. When I leave, the Spirit's going to come and he's going to empower you to do my work. Work you could not do otherwise. Jesus had promised that back in John chapter 16. We see this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And again in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, the spirit is coming. He's going to tell you more about who I am, what you need to say about me, where to go, what to do. If I leave, the spirit's going to come because the spirit can't dwell in your hearts until I deal with sin and make you a clean vessel ready for God's spirit to move in. And then once I do that, once I defeat sin, God accepts it, I ascend into heaven, and the Spirit will come and provide you everything you need to do my will. But over and over and over again, Jesus and the disciples say, apart from the Spirit, you will do nothing of eternal significance. The Spirit is the spark that lights the flame of the church. It is the power that gives it life. I don't know if any of you have ever had the experience of calling tech support for a computer, perhaps. You get on the phone, you uh, wait for 20 or 30 minutes, you've got some terrible problem with your computer. You finally get someone, they ask you all these questions about what type of computer, what's going on, what's the problem, and they, mm-hmm, 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 right? And they take all these notes, and then you finally get to it, and they go, okay, I want you to try something. Have you plugged in your computer? Right? And every time that happens, I go, What? Like, I waited 30 minutes. I, yes, I have plugged in the computer, right? And I go, who are the people who are sitting there and they call Apple or whatever and they go, the screen is blank. Nothing works, right? And they go, have you plugged it in? Plugged it. Oh, oh yeah, you fixed it, right? And then they hang up, right? Who are those people? Well, the people I know who work in tech support say there are those people out there that they call and then they say, plug it in. They go, oh yeah, right, okay without recognizing that no matter how expensive the computer, no matter how high tech, if there's no power, it does nothing, right? It's a heavy paperweight. It's all it is. Jesus says, apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't do anything. You can't do anything of eternal value if you don't rely on the Spirit. Jesus uh, compares the Spirit to water. Without water, you're pretty much toast, metaphorically and literally, okay? John chapter seven, I know, that was terrible. John chapter seven, (laughs) whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, I was thinking recently, it's amazing uh, with our recent drought, you think about uh, how much we're dependent upon rain, Right? With everything that we can do, all of the technology that we have, if it just stops raining and we have no water, you can't grow food, factories can't operate, 
you and I cannot live without water. And Jesus says in the spiritual realm, that's what the Holy Spirit is. And as we move through this book, we see the disciples transformed by the Spirit of God. Peter turns from a man who denies his Savior in fear to a man who stands up in public in front of thousands of people on the day of Pentecost and testifies to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And that's a transformation that happens because of God's power. All right, so you're here and you say, well, how do I get that, right? How do I, how do I tap into that? Well, first of all, you have to know him. It may be that you're here this morning and you've never yet trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, that is your rebellion against God, and to provide you eternal life. If that's you, you need to know the only way to know him, the only way for his spirit to live in you is for you to believe that Jesus has forgiven your sin, has granted you eternal life, and then you're cleansed. And God's spirit can move in. And if you know him, then what you do each day is you submit yourself to him. You come before him through his word. You come before him in prayer. You engage with a community of believers where the spirit is working and allow them to speak to you on behalf of God's spirit. And then God begins to move, to transform your life, to overcome sin, to allow you to be an effective representative for him. I think there are many of us that we we struggle with sin. I think there are many of us that we struggle to be effective for Jesus Christ because we're, we're just, our solution is just to try harder. Every time I look at something I shouldn't, every time I say something I shouldn't, every time I use my body in a way that's dishonoring to God, I go, I'm just going to suck up my willpower and try harder. And there is an element of discipline in the spiritual life, but Jesus says, apart from reliance upon the Spirit, through prayer, through the Word of God, through the community of believers, you can't do anything. And so the work continues through God's people and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. It goes out to every nation. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, and this is the great task that he's given. He says, look, I want you to start here in Jerusalem and then it's going to go out to Judea and then Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And as you walk through this book, you see that that really is an effective outline of the book. They start in Jerusalem. They move out to the regions surrounding Jerusalem. By chapter eight, we're in Samaria. By the time we get to the last half of the book where we see Paul, we're moving out to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. Take it to all the world, to every nation. Take this message and proclaim it. If you are here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the mission and the meaning of your life. See, you need to do good in school, but you're not going to do good in school, hopefully just so you can have the best job, just so your parents won't be upset with you, or just so your classmates will be impressed, but you do good in school so you can be a better representative of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're going to build relationships with friends. Some of you, many of you, most of you will have romantic relationships that lead to marriage. And those are wonderful things. But we keep those hopefully in the context of saying, my goal in life is to represent Jesus. I do that through my studies. I do that through my relationships. I do that through what I say, what I think, what I do. Every moment of every day is dedicated to this task. That I'm called to represent him. I think we're great at spreading messages that entertain us, right? Or that we appreciate. Um, I was thinking about viral videos this past week. Uh, That's kind of a new phenomenon in my adult life. We didn't have YouTube when I was in college. Some of you may not know, the number one 
uh, non-music-related viral video of all time. It's called Charlie Bit My Finger, okay? <laughs> you, you've all seen it, okay? A couple of British kids. One looks like he's about three. The other's a baby sitting on his brother's lap. And for whatever reason, older brother sticks his finger in Charlie's mouth, right? Charlie bites down. He goes, Charlie bit my finger, right? And then he bites the other finger. And at this point, the older brother, it, it really hurts, right? It starts to really hurt. And Charlie just laughs through the whole thing, right? That video has been viewed by 473 million people around the world. And I look at it and I go, why, right? Why have we spread the message of Charlie and his brother all around the world? Uh, And we're excellent at that. We have technology that allows us to do that. Messages can go out like that. And what I would challenge you to think is, how can I use the gifts God has given me, the abilities he's given me, the technology he's given us in this place in history, in 2012, here at A&M and around the world, how can I spread the message of Jesus Christ until the whole world hears? That's what we're about. Fundamentally, at Grace Bible Church, we are about equipping you to know Jesus Christ and then spread that message. Last words Jesus says in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And there's the Holy Spirit again. Jesus says, look, I'll be here. But you go and you tell people about me. You proclaim the greatness of this message that Jesus died for sin and he rose again and he's alive. And those who trust in him can have life eternal as well. He says, you go into every nation. I hope and pray that many of you in this room will choose to take overseas trips during college where you have the opportunity to see what God's doing around the world. We offer several here at Grace. I know there are other organizations that offer them. Whether you go as a missionary for your whole life, whether you live here and you're an engineer or an accountant or a secretary, I hope that you orient your life around this task, that in the way you give, in the way you pray, in the things you do, you say, I want to be a representative of Jesus Christ and empower other people to do that to every nation. And he says, you'll do this task until Jesus comes back. I love the end of this passage. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he's lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, it's not too surprising that the guys are kind of stunned, right? After Jesus gives this command, he goes up into a cloud. And here are the disciples. And a minute ago, they're talking to him about the kingdom. And now he's gone. And if that happened to me, I'd be doing the same thing, right? When's he going to fall back down would be the question. How did that happen? And it's probably beginning to dawn on them. He's gone. And I love the way this passage is phrased. In the original language, uh, it actually, it says, and behold, or look, a couple of guys had been standing right by them. Okay, so you get the impression that they're looking up at the sky and these angels kind of walk up behind them and just watch them for a minute. What are they going to do? And then finally, one of them walks over and goes, hey, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why are you looking up at the sky? 
He's coming back. Same way he went, he's coming back. That kind of startles them out of their reverie. Next passage, we see them, they go to Jerusalem. They sit down and they wait for the Spirit to come. And as you walk throughout the New Testament, along with the exhortations to obey Jesus, over and over again, we have this motivation. He's coming back. He's coming back. And as you get to the book of Revelation, that's where it ends in this glorious climax at the end of the Bible where Jesus, the Son of God, comes back on a white horse, written on his thigh, King of kings, Lord of lords, robe dipped in blood. He destroys his enemies. He sets up his kingdom and he establishes a new heavens and a new earth. And the disciple says, said, one day he's coming back. So we are called to proclaim this message until that day, not to get sidetracked, not to get off course, but to focus on the priorities that Jesus set. The priorities that Jesus talked about. Mark 13, 32 to 37. Jesus said, concerning that day or that hour when he comes back, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey and when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. It's easy to get sidetracked and forget he's coming back. There will be a day where we will stand before him and render an account of our lives. And I pray we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you can be secure that you'll spend eternity with him. But for those who have trusted him, there still is a judgment. Paul talks about crowns and rewards for those who are faithful to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you'll have authority and honor to reign over cities. Here, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. I told our student leaders this past weekend, uh, I've had a number of stressful years throughout the course of my life, but uh, I don't think any of them compares for me with seventh grade. Uh, when I entered seventh grade, uh, it was, we went to a three-year junior high, and so I was the youngest bottom of the totem pole in this school. There were ninth graders who they had kind of hit a huge growth spurt at some point along the way, and so they're like six foot two with armpit hair, and they're angry, you know, and uh, threatening, and they would pick fights and all this kind of stuff, and they're like 14. And so I went to school in fear I also went to school constantly trying to be liked, right? And so uh, one of the ways that people judged your popularity in seventh grade was by your hair, okay? And so uh, I don't have hair that would really stay straight very easily. It takes a lot of work, a lot of planning if I want my hair to stay straight. And so uh, I would sit in front of the mirror for an hour in the morning, just combing it down, putting layers of gel upon it, you know, hairspray, just to get it to lay flat. And it never would, right? If you see my yearbook from seventh grade, you'd go, oh, what happened, right? Because it would always pop back up and do funny things throughout the day. The whole situation was also complicated because the girl whose locker was next to mine made it her mission in life to sneak up behind me that year and slam my fingers in my locker as I was trying to get my books out. And then she would cackle like a hag after she did it, you know, like it was just the the funniest thing. So all this to say, like what happened to me my seventh grade year is my mission in life became boiled down to a couple of little things. One, don't get injured. Two, preserve your fingers. And three, keep your hair straight, right? That was my life. And if you ask my parents what they wanted to be the goals 
of their child. That's not what they would say. They would say, I want you to do well in school. I want you to obey God. I want you to make friends and care for people, right? Don't worry so much about your hair. And I laugh at it now, but the truth is, as adults, the same thing happens, doesn't it? We go, man, my mission in life is just to get A's. My mission in life is that after these four or five or six years, I'll be married. And if I'm not, I'm staying for seven, right? (laughs) My mission in life is to be liked. My mission in life is to have fun. My mission in life is whatever. And we get sidetracked on all these other things. And Jesus says, no, you be my witnesses. In everything you do, you make disciples. You proclaim the glory of God who gave Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for us and rise again so we can have life. And you keep spreading that message so the whole world knows. And again, it doesn't matter what your career is. This isn't about your career. This is about your mission, which is the same whatever desk you're sitting in. All right, so my challenge as we finish up is this. Will you use your college years to participate in Jesus' story? It's still going on. Will you engage in community with other believers? Come to know him. Will you spend time in his word and prioritize the things of God and allow all of your life then to flow from that so you can be his representative? What's the next step for you? For some, it may be you just need to enter a relationship with him. Trust him for the very first time this morning. There's no special magic formula or prayer. You just have to believe that you're a sinner. You have violated God's standards. Jesus Christ died and rose again so you can have eternal life and be forgiven. And he'll grant it to you. Maybe the next step for you is to join a small group where you can grow in your walk with Christ. Maybe the next step for you is to commit to spend some regular time with him each day. Whatever it is, I'd say, think through what is the next step for me to grow? And then step by step, pursue your savior as you walk through college, as you walk through the rest of your life to be a part of his story. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. As we sang earlier, you are good when there's nothing good in us. You are great and wonderful and powerful, and we are weak and sinful and inadequate. And yet you've given us your spirit and allowed us to do your work. Make us faithful, God. I pray for each of these men and women as they begin school tomorrow, that they would be diligent to do their best for the sake of your glory. I pray that they would be blessed in their relationships and in their walk with you and with their time and their health. And I pray you would use all of those things to glorify the name above every name, the name in which we pray. And it's in the power of his spirit that we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day.